0: Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to
1: talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's
2: serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. With Joe
3: McClain and Emily Alcarez.
2: Dear yeah,
3: Jesus
4: Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. Good morning praise be to jesus we get an opportunity to uh face the day no matter what comes our way no matter what we're dealing with god is so very good amen i hope that uh whatever you got to do today whether it's go to work or drop the kids off at school or run errands or whatever is on your plate that god will give you many graces today we'll be praying for that intention here in just a moment but uh uh, great program lined up for you today. Unfortunately, Emily Alcarez will be out today. She will not be on the program, so uh, just keep her in your prayers today. It'd be wonderful. Uh, but still, nonetheless, Adrian Fonseca, the producer, is here. Good morning, Adrian. Howdy, howdy. What would you do without me? Oh, wow. I don't know. I am so important. Uh, the show would be less good, for sure. I know. For I sure. Know. Uh, but nonetheless, the show must go on. We do have a good program. And Adrian, I think you're going to be reading the news this morning. Yes, sir. Have you done that before? Uh, actually, I don't think I have, actually. <laughs> this, is the first, this is the first time for everything. You know, uh, but the show must go on. Uh, we've invited back Christopher Ferrara to the program. Now he was on last week, and unfortunately, uh, we we only got a little snippet of time with him. We didn't get as much as we wanted, so we did invite him back onto the program. Now he is an attorney with the St. Thomas More Society, and he does a lot of work in religious liberty cases. So we were talking last week with Christopher about the lockdowns, and especially in light of of Christmas celebration. Across the nation. But uh, we started to have a conversation right as I needed to cut him off because the music was playing and the show was coming to a close about vaccines. And that is a topic that's big in the news right now, obviously, since it's being rolled out, the COVID vaccine is being rolled out across the West with many headlines actually about that. in fact, there are stories of, of bishops uh, dueling, so to speak, you know, intellectually anyway, over the concept of uh, vaccines being moral or immoral, especially as they pertain to those that were, uh, had anything to do with uh, aborted fetal DNA. So we'll be discussing that today on the program. But there's another story out where United Airlines kicked a whole family off the plane because their two-year-old refused to wear a mask. Their two-year-old refused to wear the mask. And they were not to mention they're now put on the no-fly list,
5: which is crazy.
4: So we see this uh, clear uh, new way of using things like vaccines to... To control people from being able to do things like get on airplanes and fly, for instance. Uh, Canada is specifically uh, going down this road with a COVID, uh, COVID- vaccine passport, but uh, they're not the only ones. The UK is considering it. Many, of, many others are, including the state of New York. So we'll be discussing some of that with Christopher Ferrar on this hour. In the next hour, if you're going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour, we'll have a, a gentleman on the, the show called Aaron Sang. He has a product called Tradivox, which I think is a Sort of an application that runs on your uh, Echo Dot device, that kind of thing?
5: Well, I'm not exactly certain. I think it hasn't been developed yet, but he's developing a kind of like a smart home device type thing that... Is basically a collection of old catechisms, the catechism of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catechism, the Catechism, Baltimore Catechism, and so on and so forth, all compiled onto one system where you can just ask it, "Hey Siri," kind of thing, or "Hey TradiVox," what does the Church teach about X, Y, or Z? And it that's will fantastic, you. actually. <laughs> it's pretty cool.
4: <laughs> that is every theology student's dream is to have this uh, this TradiVox. Well, we'll be talking with Aaron Sing in the next hour, plus the game show, even in spite of the fact that Emily's not on on the team today. Uh, we will still have a game show in the next hour so if you're joining us for the next hour look forward to that but we have so much to get into today let's pray let's uh draw our intentions together let us uh ask our lady to intercede on our behalf let's so if whatever's on your plate today medical material spiritual whatever stress or whatever your needs are health family whatever they may be let's unite them together let's bring them to our lady and ask her to intercede on our behalf and whisper them into the ear of her son In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Adrian Fonseca.
5: A USCCB committee has decided that all are welcome is not a welcome hymn at Mass. The Doctrine Committee of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, the USCCB, earlier this year, produced a guide to evaluating the lyrics of hymns on the basis of their doctrinal content, noting that Vatican II declared sacred music's purpose to be the glory of God and the sanctification of the faithful. The U.S. Bishops' Doctrine Committee provided the two general guidelines for determining whether a hymn is doctrinally suitable for liturgical use, whether it conforms to Catholic doctrine, and whether its images and vocabulary appropriately reflect the usage of Scripture and the liturgical prayer of the Church. President Trump has made Christmas Eve a federal holiday. Trump's order said all executive departments and agencies of the federal government shall be closed and their employees excused from duty on Thursday, December 24, 2020 the day before Christmas Day. The news was a welcome surprise for workers who expected, at most, a half-day. Former Presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton only gave half-days when Christmas fell on a Friday, as it does this year. The U.S. Cabinet Departments have have adopted a rule protecting organizations' religious freedom rights. Previously, religious institutions which participated in federal programs were subject to policies which critics say unfairly imposed upon the religious liberty of the organizations. For instance, religious organizations who received federal money were required to have quote, any religious activities by the organization be separated in time or location from any services directly funded with federal money, end quote. This is no longer the case. The Department of Education said in a statement yesterday, quote, This final rule also clarifies that religious organizations do not lose various legal protections because they they participate in federal programs and activities, including the right to accommodation and conscientious protection. End quote. Cardinal Zinn said that Jimmy Lai's arrest is part of a campaign of political intimidation. In an interview, the Emeritus Bishop of Hong Kong said that, the, said that the arrest of Jimmy Lai, a Catholic pro-democracy advocate and the founder of the Hong Kong newspaper Apple Daily, was just the most recent example of communist authorities attempting to stifle a free press. Lai was charged December 2nd with breaching the terms of a lease by his company, Next Digital Media. Lai has previously been arrested and bailed under the terms of the new Hong Kong national security law, imposed on the territory in July for pro-democracy advocacy. Cardinal zinn told CNA that attacks on basic freedoms in Hong Kong extended beyond political repression and represented a growing threat to the church. Austrian Catholic leaders are deploring a court ruling on assisted suicide. The Constitutional Court argued in its December 11th ruling that the country's criminal code is unconstitutional because its ban on assisted suicide violates the right to self-determination. It ordered the government to lift the prohibition in 2021. In a December 11th statement, Archbishop Franz Lachner said that the court's judgment that the ban on assisted suicide was unconstitutional was a fundamental cultural breach. These are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. St. Virginia Barcelli, pray for us. She, We're talking
4: 17th century here, born in Genoa, Italy uh, in 1587. Now, she is... Uh, the daughter of Giorgio and Lely uh, Leli Lelai, or Leli, I think it's Spagnola is her mother's name. But as a young girl, young Virginia, she felt called to the religious life. And this should remind you very much of another very famous Italian saint, St. Rita of Cassia. Same thing, uh, who also wanted to spend her life as a little girl. She realized she was called to this religious vocation. But also, just like St. Rita of Cassia, Virginia uh, was uh, put in a situation where she didn't have much choice. Uh, A marriage was arranged for her by her parents because her parents were well-to-do and because of their state and their position in the community, it was expected that Virginia would, would marry and have children. Well, they arranged her to a man named Germaldi Barcelli, and unfortunately, they were married on December 10th, 1602, but the unfortunate part is uh was a a drinker and a gambler and he uh he wasn't a very good husband let's just say she endured this patiently but it wouldn't last all that long and they did have two daughters but he died actually she was widowed on 13 june 1607 at the age of 20 she ended up moving in with her in-laws to raise her daughters and to care for her in-laws Um, But still, that drive, that fervor, that passion towards religious life, towards piety and charity was just really a flame in her heart. When her mother-in-law finally passed, she basically turned her home into sort of a a mini hospital, a place where she would take in the sick and those who needed help, the, the homeless, for instance. And quickly, her Her home became overrun i mean there was a i think a plague and a famine that was going on at the time and she ended up founding what was called the center of our lord jesus christ a center of mercy for the care of the poor and long story short it becomes a hospital And she ends up having 300 patients. It becomes so big and so overwhelming that she ends up renting an abandoned uh, uh, convent nearby. And she starts to fill that up as well. Eventually she buys two two villas and she has a a church uh, built and dedicated to Our Lady of Refuge. And she founds two orders. This is a woman who spends her whole life in the service of of the Lord Jesus Christ caring for the poor, caring for the sick, caring for the downtrodden. This is a woman who uh, who was totally sold out, and it reminds me so much of St. Rita, because also, uh, just like St. Rita, uh, St. Virginia Barcelli also helped to negotiate rivalries between warring families there in, in Genoa, Italy. So St. Virginia Barcelli, pray for us. She dies 15 December 1651. And the gospel today is a uh, is the very next passages from yesterday's gospel, Matthew chapter 21. You might recall Jesus uh, had an encounter with the Pharisees where they, they were asking him by what authority he dis- does his his thing. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it of God or of man? And they refused to answer, trying to keep all their options open. So Jesus says... Well, then I won't answer you. And that is where we left off yesterday. So today's gospel is Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son said in reply, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. He went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, Yes, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered him, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your mind and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a fascinating passage there, uh, I think, uh, Adrian, because there's some hidden gems there that I think we most Well, often we'll read too quickly and sort of
5: pass by and not really focus on some of the parallels to our own times. Absolutely. I think uh, at first I think it would be good to uh, point out like the obvious things. Our Lord um, really clearly explains the parable in the most uh, literal sense. And then, of course, there's the other sense of scripture where we can apply it to our lives today. Uh, So I think we should start off uh, with what our Lord said on his description of it.
4: Well, I like the fact that he is still confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Again, one of the points I made yesterday was the fact that when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and the clergy uh, of his day, there's not a whole lot of dialogue that goes on, right? <laughs> How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? But we do see dialogue with Jesus with individuals, the woman at the well, the man born blind, the rich man, you know, those types of encounters. There's some dialogue there, but when it comes to Pharisees and Sadducees and the, and the clergy, not so much, not so much. We see this sort of contentious, uh uh, situation going on, and he's basically saying, look, you know, you should have recognized the time of your visitation, the one crying out in the wilderness, the one making straight the way the path. Why? Because John said that's what he was, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know the prophecies. You know what that meant. You know that that meant the time of your visitation by the Messiah is upon you. Plus, you have also Daniel's prophecies to verify that, in fact, that was the appropriate time. And then you should have heard his call to reconciliation, to his call to repentance, and yet you didn't turn you, right. didn't, you didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Unlike unlike tax collectors, uh, think of Zacchaeus. The Gentiles. Right? Zacchaeus mm-hmm. hiding in the in the uh, the tree comes down when Jesus says, I'm going to stay at your place tonight. And then that night at the banquet, he makes a promise to he begs forgiveness and he makes restitution for all of his, his uh, sins against those he has exhorted money from. I mean, so we see the conversion of tax collectors and prostitutes and, and the
5: sinners. But among the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the clergy, not so much. Absolutely, and I think uh, the our Lord it really just explains what it is. The first, uh, the the first son who says, "No, I will not go out," and then he ends up going and doing the work of the Father, that is uh, obviously the an interpretation of the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and in the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they are the second son who said, yes, I will do the will of my father. Yeah. But then whenever uh, the father sends the son, he rejects him and says, no, I will not go into the field and do your work. Uh, I think that's a very clear example. But Alapide goes on to talk about how it applies to today, mm. and he talks about how today the uh, whenever the layman, you and I, whenever we exercise the uh, the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience, we are uh, like the second son who has said no to the vocation to uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience, but we go out and do the will of the Father nonetheless. Yeah. Whereas the religious, uh, the religious priest sisters, brothers, monks, those kind of things, mm-hmm. whenever they uh, fall away from their evangelical counsels, they are like the first son who has said, yes, I will do the will of my father, but then go and reject him. And how often we see this in our day-to-day life.
4: Amen. Praise be to Jesus. Chew on the gospel. Matthew 21, verses twenty eight thirty two today. Very pa- powerful passage. But we're going to go to break. We're going to come back with a segment of what concerns us. We both have, I think, a list of, of stories that are concerning to us. So there was a powerful homily on uh, Saturday, December the 12th. Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe from Cardinal Burke. We'll mention that. Uh, dueling opinions from bishops on vaccines. All that and more. Plus Christopher Ferrara. All coming up still on Catholic Drive Time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: why do Catholics confess their sins to a priest rather than going directly to God?
3: Because that's the way God set things up for us to receive his forgiveness. In James 5.16, God, through sacred scripture, commands us to confess our sins to one another. Scripture does not say confess your sins straight to God and only to God. It says confess your sins to one another. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus tells us that he was given authority on earth to forgive sins. And then scripture proceeds to tell us in verse 8 that this authority was given to men, plural. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, we just saw in Matthew 9 that the Father sent Jesus with the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now Jesus sends out his disciples as the Father has sent him, so what authority must Jesus be sending his disciples out with? The authority on earth to forgive sins. And listen to the next two verses. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Why would Jesus give the apostles the power to forgive or retain sins if he wasn't expecting folks to confess their sins to them? That's crazy. That's crazy. And how could they forgive or retain sins if no one was confessing their sins to them? The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. It also tells us that God gave men the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus sends out his disciples with the authority on earth to forgive sins. When Catholics confess our sins to a priest, we are simply following the plan laid down by Jesus Christ. He forgives sins through the priest. It is God's power, but he exercises that power through the ministry of the priest.
0: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
4: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Captain Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. Emily Alcrez is out today. Adrian Fonsec is doing his best to produce and sit in her in her her spot today in the program but welcome to a uh, a segment we call what concerns us and i've got a list here adrian i don't know about you i got a list but i don't have a list i have a, i have one all right so <laughs> let me start really quickly uh with this story out of michigan Um, I haven't covered a whole lot of the voter fraud stories that have been going on. I mean, there's some great resources out there. You can check them out. Um, But you you probably are fairly familiar with some of this. But did you know that uh, in Michigan, they did in Antrim uh, County, they did a forensic uh, analysis of the Dominion voting machines? The report that came out, it was the Allied Security Operations Group that released the report, and they did the actual investigation, the forensic study of the, how these machines operate. And they released the report, and a judge in Michigan blocked it initially, didn't want it to become public. Well, it did finally get the permission to to be uh, released publicly, so now it is out and I'm just going to read really quickly just a small, very, very tiny portion of this 23-page document. Uh, but I want to tell you first who the person is that wrote this report. His name is Russell James Ramsland, Jr., and it says he is a resident of Dallas County, Texas. He holds an MBA from Harvard University, a political science degree from Duke. He's worked with NASA And MIT, and he's helped to run businesses all over the world. So, in other words, this is a credible person. He's not a uh, a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. This is a person with the with the credentials to perform such an analysis, a forensic study of the Dominican. Uh, the Dominion, rather, not the Dominican, the Dominion voting machine. So that's a nice little Freudian slip there. Okay. What are you so, trying to say about Dominicans? I'm not saying anything about Dominicans. Okay. So here is one of, here's two points of his conclusion. Uh, again, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, uh, but just a couple of points. He said, The purpose of the forensic audit is to test the integrity of the Dominion Dominion voting system in how it performed in Antrim County, Michigan for the 2020 election. He says, We conclude. That the Dominion voting system is intentionally and purpose, purposefully designed with the intent that errors, to, that it, with the inherent errors to create systematic fraud and influence election results. He says the system intentionally generates an enormously high number of ballot errors. The election ballots are then transferred for adjudication. The intentional errors lead to bulk adjudication of ballots with no oversight no transparency, and no audit trail. He goes on to say, this leads to voter or election fraud. Based on our study, we conclude that the Dominion voting system should not be used in Michigan. We further conclude that the results of Antrim County should not have been certified. The last thing I'm going to point out from this article, and uh, I'll link to the actual report so you can read the actual report, uh, not an article about the report, but the actual report itself. You may read that. I'll link to it at Facebook.com forward slash GRN Online in today's live broadcast. But it says uh the last point, it says the allowable election error rate by the Federal Election Commission is one in two hundred and fifty thousand ballots. So this is what's allowed. This is the, the tolerance. This is uh legally allowed point zero 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 eight percent. You get that? That's what's allowed. By the FEC. 0.0008. He goes on to say, We observed an error rate of 68 plus percent. 68%. So what's allowable is 0.008. What they found was 68%. This demonstrated a significant fatal error in security and election integrity. The report is actually has a lot more information to to offer in that. Again... I'll be linking to it at Facebook.com forward slash GRN online. But this is what concerns me, that there is this type of forensic analysis done by very credible people. You don't have to love politics, love the particular candidates. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with whether or not we want a free and fair election. And when there's that kind of evidence that that we should consider, I just... concerns me that we're not you know having this stuff considered at the highest courts of our land we have to uh, jump through all these hoops because at the end of the day it's again not about the politician as much as do we want to live in a country where that kind of thing is is normal is that the new normal is that acceptable to us i guess that concerns me what's on your concerning list
5: Yeah, so I have just one thing on my concerning list. I didn't have enough time to prepare a number of things. But one big thing that I was listening to yesterday, a number of people talking about was that uh, Gates, Bill Gates, who's worth one hundred and twenty billion dollars. Has said that he that there will be another four to six months of lockdowns at and that and that's one thing that is interesting that he notes or that the people that were talking about it noted is that he does not say oh I think there will be or I hope there will be or Mm. I'm pushing for he says there will be another four to six months of lockdowns and then he goes on to say we will not get back to normal until at least 2022. Uh, He also goes on and he talks about, which he has for years, uh, talked about population control and how it's very necessary for population control. And he has pushed this throughout uh, third world countries all over the place, uh, targeting um, black uh, babies across uh, Africa and Mm -hmm. around and then also um, some Indian babies across uh, Asia it's quite amazing to see how he's able to get away with so much. And the thing is that he, since he's worth so much money and mm-hmm. it, nobody holds him accountable, he's worth $120 billion. Microsoft stock has skyrocketed. He's made so much money during this time. Yet he's calling for lockdowns because he's not affected by any lockdowns. He's worth so much (laughs) that no skin off his feet.
4: House too,
5: right? Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, it's not worth. It's not no skin off his his back, right? So it's it's quite amazing to see how he's willing to just uh, sell people down the down the road for uh, for himself and how he's uh, manipulating everything, how he's saying how he yeah. knows these things are going to happen. He doesn't think, he doesn't ask, he doesn't hope, he knows that X, Y, and Z will happen. I watched uh, a bit of Bill Gates being interviewed by Jake Tapper yesterday
4: uh, with my wife, and one of the thoughts that came to my mind as he was speaking about the pandemic was how the, the continuous use of language that seems to suggest that there's, it, it's, uh, such a, it's such a worldwide massive crisis uh, of epic proportions, that sort of language and feel, that motif, that theme that we see over and over and over again, even in the, uh, the USCCB's declaration, uh, or not declaration, but USCCB, uh, spe- specifically Bishop Kevin Rhodes of Fort Wayne, South Bend, and uh, and Kansas City in Kansas, uh, Bishop Joseph Nauman, talking about how you can take the COVID vaccines, even if there's remote material cooperation with aborted fetal DNA. And even they are using, like, in, in view, quote, in view of the... I'm quoting from the Catholic News Agency article on this. Again, we'll link to it. In view of the gravity of the current pandemic and the lack of availability alternative vaccines, the reason to accept the new COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna are sufficiently serious to, to, to justify their use. Again, the view of the gravity. So it's like when Bill Gates or these bishops are using this term, the view of the gravity, one of the thoughts that came to my mind when they're saying these things is wait, okay, I can remember scenes uh, in researching history about the Black P- Plague where every day there'd be people with carts, you know, bring out your dead, bring out your dead, ringing bells, and they would collect the dead in order to try to um, reduce contagion and infection. Removing the the corpses would help to reduce that opportunity. And they were carrying away the dead uh, by the cartload every day. Um, but that's just not happening. I mean, I, I, I get the differences between time and space and, and technology and hospitals. I understand all that. But in general, 99%... Uh, of every age group more than 99% survived this thing and then when you get to 70 plus it drops to 94 which is a very significant drop in my opinion going from 99 to 94 so it's a very critical and very serious thing for for folks 70 or above and people with comorbidities very serious and you must take those things serious but I think you can do that uh, with our available resources and, and I just don't know that it comes to the level of
5: gravity that they seem to suggest, which is uh, part of their language. No? No, absolutely. I think it's quite amazing because uh, like you said, it's 99.997% survival rate for the average person. It's only until you get in the higher age bracket and the people with comorbidities where you actually see it being uh, as high as low as like 96 percent yeah um, but that's like at age of 70 above with comorbidities uh, so it's it's yes absolutely there are people that need to be protected from it people that should uh be protected and and be uh and be secluded um and and even then we shouldn't like, completely seclude them we don't want them uh dying of broken hearts and dying of Amen. loneliness well, so yeah I mean, there's there was a month senior who committed suicide because of the
4: depression Absolutely. related to covid mm-hmm. i mean so depression is is up and uh we see suicides are up pornography use is up a lot of drug addictions are up abuse right. in Porn the home is up. giving away yeah.
5: uh, pornography
4: accounts Terrible. for free right now so at any rate uh, major concern there and going back to the one last uh, point here before we go to a break and uh, we'll be speaking with christopher ferrara uh, in the next segment after the breaking news, but uh, there's a, a, an alternative group of bishops. So we, I quoted from the article, Catholic News Agency, about uh, the bishop in Kansas City, in Kansas, who is the director of pro-life for the USCCB, by the way, who says it's okay, given the circumstances, it's okay, even though these, these vaccines um, were used either in testing, uh, in which case the Pfizer was used for, they used abortive fetal DNA for the testing part, He says it's okay to use them, but there's a group of bishops, including a cardinal, uh, that say kind of the opposite. And um, I'll link to this as well. I'll put the links during the break in our Facebook feed. It says, quote, in the case of vaccines made from the cell lines of aborted human fetuses, we see a clear contradiction between the Catholic doctrine uh, to categorically and beyond the shadow of any doubt, reject abortion in all cases as a grave moral evil that cries out to heaven for vengeance. Uh, they go on to quote uh, Pope, uh, Pope St. John Paul II regarding the dignity of the, of the unborn human life, quote, The inviolability of the person, which is a reflection of the absolute inviolability of God, finds its primary and fundamental expression in the inviolability of the human life. Above all, the common outcry, which is justly made on behalf of human rights, for example, the right to health, to home, to work, to family, to culture, is false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental right, and the the condition for all other personal rights is not defended with maximum determination. With maximum determination, unquote, St. John Paul II pray for us so differing opinions among bishops out there on the covid situation keep us keep everyone in prayer that's going to be facing that not to mention uh uk uh, and uh, canada health departments were warning people who have allergies to this not to take it we'll be talking with christopher ferrara about religious liberty and vaccines coming up in the next segment don't go anywhere Got a drive time be right back
2: this is dale alquist with a chesterton minute Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, Chesterton.org.
3: Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race. A different faith or vulnerable but over time we must learn that we are all God's children created in his image that all human creation has an inalienable right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness a right to love and be loved so let's cherish the sanctity of life because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human
5: welcome back to uh, Catholic Drive Time Hey, here's your producer, Adrian Fonseca. Uh, Joe McClain is getting uh, Christopher Farrar on the line to talk about religious liberty. We're going to be talking about the COVID vaccine and how that is uh, working it, legally speaking and church lockdowns uh, with Christopher Farrar in just a moment. Joe McLean is getting them on the line. But until then, I'm going to give you uh, your Tuesday morning headlines. The American bishops have approved the use of coronavirus vaccines with a remote connection to abortion. The bishop said in a statement published yesterday, In view of the gravity of the current pandemic and the lack of availability of alternative vaccines, the reasons to accept the new COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna are sufficiently serious to justify their use, despite their remote connection to morally compromised cell lines. They added that Catholics cannot allow the pandemic to desensitize or weaken our determination to oppose the evil of abortion. Conversely, the vaccine produced by AstraZeneca, quote, should be avoided if there are if there are alternatives available. End quote, said the bishops, as the vaccine is quote more uh, more morally compromised. End quote. A U.S. bill against Uyghur forced labor is getting co- corporate lobbyist attention. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act passed the House on September 22nd by a vote of 406 to three. The legislation would treat all goods imported from China's Zhejiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in the far West as being created with forced labor, unless certified otherwise by U.S. Customs and Border. An estimate 1 million or more Uyghurs, members of a Muslim ethno-religious minority group, have been detained in re-education camps in Zhejiang, which were first spotted on satellite imagery in 2017. The Chinese government at one time denied the camps existed, but has since shifted to defending its actions as an appropriate terrorism prevention measure. Bishops in northeastern Italy are permitting general absolution at Christmas due to the pandemic. Catholic bishops in northeast Italy have said that the risk of illness amid the ongoing pandemic constitutes a grave necessity, permitting priests to confer the sacraments of reconciliation under the third form, also known as general absolution. Before before and during the Christmas season, the decision was made in consultation with the Apostolic Penitentiary, which is responsible for issues related to the forgiveness of sins. The bishop stressed the importance of keeping community penitential celebrations separate from the Mass, and giving proper instructions on the extraordinary nature of the form adopted for the sacrament. On December 21st, the planets Jupiter and Saturn will appear a tenth of a degree apart in the night sky, something called a Great Conjunction. The conjunction happens approximately every 20 years, but this year the two planets will appear the closest they have been in almost 400 years. To the naked eye, they will look like one bright star, thus earning the nickname the Christmas Star. Some astronomers have theorized that this conjunction of the two bright planets could be what the three wise men from the east saw in the sky and followed, leading them to find the Christ Jesus child, as recounted in St. Matthew's Gospel. These are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ.
4: Thank you, Adrian, for stepping in for Emily today. Uh, we have a, a caller on the line. But real quick, before we jump onto our caller, uh, we're going to have a, a great conversation here with Christopher Ferrar. in one second. But I want to mention, if you're joining us in the next hour, not only are we going to have the Catholic Trivia Game Show, we're also going to be speaking with uh, Aaron Sang in the next hour about a, a product he is developing that would be a wonderful tool. It's called Vox. And it would work on your like Echo Dot device, and you could just say, "Hey, you know, Tradivox, what uh, what does the church teach about X?" And you would get uh, you get a database of of great catechisms from the patrimony of the church's tradition that would come to your rescue and help you understand what the church teaches on X, Y, and Z. Perfect for uh, I would say family gatherings, right? We'll have that conversation in the next hour. But joining us on the line right now is. Christopher Ferrara, he's a Roman Catholic attorney, a pro-life activist, a journalist. He founded the American Catholic Lawyers Association in 1990. He joined the Thomas More Society in 2020, and uh, he does a lot of work in religious liberty, which we have started to talk to him about last week. But unfortunately, we, uh, we weren't able to have a fuller conversation, so we invited him back, and uh, we're happy that he's back on the line with us, with us this morning. Good morning,
6: Christopher Good morning. Thanks for having me back.
4: Praise be to Jesus. Now, you're out of the New York area. Is that, is that true?
6: No, actually, I live in Richmond, Virginia.
4: Oh, very good. I uh, Wasn't it your governor the other day that said you didn't have to go to church anymore? That you can just—God follows you wherever you go. Isn't that the case?
6: Well, uh, certain governors in certain states, and Northam is one of them, have a problem. <laughs> the problem is that they're blabbermouths. So Northam, I think, just sank his own ship by making a public declaration that in his theological view, one can just pray at home. Yes. One doesn't need the building, says Pope Northam. So uh, that is a really (laughs) clear-cut violation of governmental neutrality respecting religion when a governor tells you what he thinks is more important to you than merely a building, as if... The temple can be divorced from Catholic worship. Catholic worship is oriented to the temple where the Holy Sanctuary is found, where the Blessed Sacrament resides. We don't worship in parking lots, and we don't worship on the internet. So Northam Amen. has really stepped in it, mm. put it as crudely as possible, and uh, he's going to have a problem with that statement. As Governor Cuomo did in New York with his statements, specifically targeting the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn, the three of whose members I represent in New York litigation, uh, because he said that there was a cluster, a cluster of cases, mm. to talk about that in a minute, in the orthodox communities. And the Supreme Court noted the allegation in that case that he gerrymandered his uh, COVID-19 restrictions in his so-called red zone, where worship is limited to 10 people per per house of worship, to take in orthodox communities while excluding other communities. That was a factor in the Supreme Court's decision, although it wasn't necessary What's really necessary is that any COVID-19 restrictions imposed by governors and other officials have to be applied across the board. And the principle is very simple. What's good for Costco is good for church.
2: Mm.
4: Well, I mean, I think I've quoted it a few times already in the course of this show, not today's show, but in past shows, uh, the case of the Calvary Chapel versus Nevada, uh, where Calvary Chapel right. wanted the same level of, of – of, uh, Access to customers as the casinos enjoyed. And the Supreme Court said, no, no, you, you, it's okay to have a casino full of uh,
5: folks gambling, but not okay to have a church full of worshipers. Uh, see, my problem is I'm, I'm curious as to how this works exactly, since it feels as though we have a freedom of religion here in America. And how is it that we can say, oh, we want the same rights as Costco or the, or the, uh, or the casinos, shouldn't we have more rights than Costco in the casinos? We don't have a right to Costco, but we do have a right to religion.
6: That is such an important question, and it has to be answered, and maybe this is a good place to start. The problem with the analysis I've just outlined, which is the analysis courts are using, and the analysis that we're stuck with, goes back to a case called uh, Employment Division versus Smith. Mm. Now, in that case, you had a couple of people who were using peyote in their religious rituals. But peyote is a controlled dangerous substance they were fired for using peyote they sought unemployment benefits they were denied unemployment benefits because they had been fired for cause the case comes to the united states supreme court and in the smith case justice scalia held for the court's majority that if a law is generally applicable and neutral and incidentally burdens religion it only is subjected to what they call rational basis review. If there's any rational basis for the law at all, then it's upheld against the challenge by someone who's practicing religion. So under that standard, the only way you can avoid application of a general, generally applicable or neutral law to religion is to show that comparable secular activities are not uh, are treated better than religion, and therefore the law is not generally applicable, and not neutral. That's the analysis we're stuck with now. You're Mm. absolutely right. Religion should have a favored status. Before Smith, it did have a favored status under the Sherbert case. If religion was burdened in any way, the state had to show that it had a compelling interest in burdening religion, and that it was using the most narrowly tailored means to advance that interest. Smith changed that entire analysis. So now, in all these COVID cases, you have to show that the COVID regulation is neither neutral nor generally applicable. And how you do that is by pointing to secular comparators like Costco. Mm -hmm. Hey, Costco has got 100% occupancy. So that's not generally applicable. You have 100% occupancy for Costco, but 0% occupancy for churches. Mm -hmm. I don't like that analysis. You're absolutely right. Religion should have a favored status, but that's the problem we have post-Smith. We have to follow this mode of analysis.
4: I, I, I'll I never forget, I think it was, I don't know, April, May, I don't know, May, April, sometime in there when the uh, first uh, 15 days to flatten the curve thing happened and my friend was in a Home Depot buying parts for his toilet and I was thinking, I can't go to Mass, but you can buy parts for your toilet? That's insane. Okay, hold that thought. We're speaking with Christopher Farrar. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come back. And I want to talk about vaccines as used to control people and movements. We'll have that conversation on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Having Drive Time. Be right back. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan Sometimes it can seem that our family life is humdrum, monotonous, and insignificant.
2: But Christ began his public ministry at the wedding at Cana. When we read this account in the gospel, we're reminded that our marriage, our ordinary family life, is important to God.
1: Our Lord and Our Lady love our families, and they are present with us. They desire to change what is ordinary into the extraordinary. The Lord can take our simple and everyday tasks and make them holy.
0: Like the servants at the wedding at Cana, we need to notice when we run out of wine, when we run out of joy, when we run out of love. It is then that we turn to Our Lady and ask for her help. She can bring Christ into our lives, our ordinary water, and
4: transform it into wine.
1: And when we invite Christ into our lives to transform us, He creates the best wine of all. For more advice, ideas, and encouragement, visit us at MessyFamilyProject.org. Ever feel like life is just too busy, too much? Constant noise, social, traffic, work, paying bills. It just doesn't seem to let up. maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace and less chaos, then find your hope today. Begin at catholicscomehome.com.
4: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's good to be with you this morning. Christopher Ferrara of the St. Thomas More Society is uh, on the phone with us today. We're talking about religious liberty in the pandemic era. Uh, Now, Christopher, one of the points that uh, Adrian and I were discussing in the previous segment... Was the use of this theme, this motif, on news and even in bishops' uh, statements on uh, vaccines, for instance? There's a Catholic news agency article about uh, the director of pro-life activities at the USCCB, the bishop from Kansas City in Kansas, uh, who, who uses this like epidemic, these extreme situations, and they just use this high level like like. I have these visions of, of the plague and carts They're going down the streets, the, you know, bring out your dead, but <laughs> that's just not happening, and yet we're seeing them react as though it is, and I fear for our religious liberties, our freedoms may be uh, diminished as a result of those circumstances. I'm thinking specifically about the vaccine use and passports, like in Canada in the UK and in the state of New York, for instance. What say you, uh, Christopher Ferrara?
6: Well, you're absolutely right. They uh, are trumping every every death, counting every death. If they did that each year for flu deaths, we'd be in a panic every year. So, uh, day by day, we get these uh, reports of surging cases, and I'll get to that in a minute. And deaths are rising, but when you look at the actual number of deaths on a national basis, on the worst day, you're talking about an average of 50 people per state dying of a particular cause. But in the same state, hundreds if not thousands of people are dying from other causes. Yeah. Death is part of life. It's not callous to say that. It's simply realistic to say that. Now, if you trust worldometers, for example, we're told that we have uh, 16,942,980 coronavirus cases and 308,091 deaths. Well, that's a, a de- death rate akin to the seasonal flu and probably there are more than 16 million cases, as they call them, in the United States. What is a case of coronavirus, according to them? A positive PCR test, polymerase chain reaction. That's a test where you double a sample until you detect some remnant of the virus. If you're running more than 30 cycles on that test, what you're detecting is not an infection, but as one virologist put it, a hair in a living room, and based on the hair being in the living room, you say the person is in the living room. Mm. It's a completely meaningless result. There's no clinical confirmation of an active infection, but they're now calling a test result a case of COVID-19, which is ridiculous. And they're using surging cases, as they keep calling them incessantly in the media, as the pretext for forcing everybody by one means or another to get vaccinated. Now, they've told us about this vaccine, It's a two-part administration. You get an injection. They're warning us already we're going to develop symptoms from the first injection, and you come back three weeks later for the second injection to get a limited amount of immunity against a virus with a death rate such that 99.7% of those who are actually infected survive the infection. Mm. And uh, it's lunacy, public policy lunacy to uh, compel people. To be vaccinated, especially when the vaccination involves a line of cells from an aborted fetus, I cannot understand the bishops treating this as something sufficiently serious uh, to justify remote cooperation uh, or or material cooperation in evil uh, based on a, a virus that just is not as lethal as the media would have us believe.
4: Yeah, the other thing. To see these, uh, like the U.K. Parliament a couple of weeks back was already uh, tossing around the idea of requiring its citizens to carry uh, vaccine passports on their phones in order to get into public places. Uh, I know that groups like Ticketmaster have already started considering that. But Canada, I think it was in Ontario, they were saying, we're going to this. We're going to use a a vaccine passport. And there's a a story out. The United Airlines kicked the whole family off of their plane because their two-year-old refused to wear a mask. And they are now on the no-fly list. Uh, Qantas Air said that they would, in fact, require vaccines to uh, have travelers. So if you don't have the vaccine, you don't get on an airplane. Uh, Christopher Ferrara, that reminds me a lot of China. And what they're doing with passports and uh, and uh, digital apps on their phones, their, their citizens can't get on trains or buses or go into certain shopping places because of their social credit score. Are we headed down that road?
6: Well, we're already halfway there, three quarters of the way there. And it doesn't take a statute or government regulation compelling vaccination to get that result. Private enterprise, so-called, will cooperate handily in that. (laughs) As you just alluded to, the airlines, uh, not only the airlines, but other businesses will compel people to produce a vaccination certificate in order to patronize their businesses. You won't be able to fly. You won't be able to take a train ride. You won't be able to shop without a vaccination certificate. And for what? For, uh, For an illness which, in the vast majority of people, is a passing thing. And I speak from experience, by the way. And, you know, if anyone accuses me of being callous, my father was a victim of this virus. 96 years old. He was in a VA nursing facility. My sister would visit him regularly to give him extra water. He needed about five glasses a day because at his age. Mm. Very prone to dehydration. Well, the virus got into the nursing home. And some people in the nursing home got infected. And then my father got infected. They locked him into the nursing home for a month and a half. They kept him from seeing my sister. They dehydrated him. His kidneys failed, and he died ultimately of kidney failure for lack of water because they could not even give him an IV. His body could no longer absor- uh, absorb the water. I'm so sorry. It wasn't the virus that killed him. It was, it was dehydration. What did they put on the death certificate? That he died of respiratory arrest from COVID-19. That's wow. That's not how he died. I watched him pass away wow. because at the end of his life, suddenly the virus is not a threat they let us come in for a compassionate visit. Wow. Does that make any sense to you? Not you can't all. see your own father when he's uh, infected by the virus because the virus is just too dangerous. But when he's about to die, suddenly the virus is not so dangerous. they mm-hmm. let you into the nursing home. And, and this... that's how Governor Murphy in New Jersey is responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. Yeah, and, and, and what Houston, they're doing with these elderly something. people, mm-hmm. these elderly people who are the primary victims of COVID-19, people with comorbidities, are being chalked up as COVID nineteen deaths, but they're in many cases not at all COVID nineteen deaths.
5: Yeah, something has similar happened uh, to me and my family. Whenever my grandmother died a few months ago during COVID, she died of um, some bad surgery that went surgery that went wrong, and they would not let us go see her because uh, of COVID. Uh, so only my father was allowed into the hospital to go see her. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite ridiculous the way uh, these, these uh, measures are being uh, distributed and uh, applied. It seems uh, ridiculous.
6: Public policy in this whole area has become totally irrational. By the way, you mentioned earlier that the Supreme Court had said that casinos can be at 50% occupancy with no hard cap, but churches could not be. That actually wasn't the Supreme Court. It was a concurring opinion or rather a denial of an injunction pending appeal by the Supreme Court without an opinion. Mm. Earlier in the South Bay case, Justice Roberts had issued a solo concurrence, which basically adopted the wrong test. And in the Brooklyn Diocese case, just handed down by the Supreme Court on November 25th, Justice Gorsuch pointed out that the concurrence in uh, the the, uh, South Bay case was wrong from the start because what Roberts did is exactly what judges have been doing, or had been doing, until Brooklyn Diocese. They till the Brooklyn Diocese case. Mm-hmm. They were saying, "Well, look, movie theaters are closed, concert halls are closed. Therefore, churches can't complain when they're closed." That is not the test. The test under Smith is not whether some secular entities are closed and treated just as badly as religion, but whether secular comparators like Costco, trains, planes. And, uh, and transportation hubs, factories, and warehouses are treated better than religion. You look at the comparators that are treated better. And if they are treated better, then the state has to come up with a compelling interest to justify the disparate treatment. And it has to approach the supposed interest with the narrowly tailored means uh, that are required under this test. And that means the least restrictive means possible. Mm. Now, is it least restrictive to totally close churches? while various other secular entities have 50% or 100% occupancy? Obviously not, and that's what the Supreme Court has made clear in the Brooklyn Diocese case.
4: We are talking to Christopher Ferrara of the uh, St. Thomas More Society. We have about uh, a minute and a half left in our conversation before we have to say goodbye. Uh, final thoughts, Christopher, what can we do? What should we be doing at this point?
6: Well, what you can do is, if you have an issue that you think should be adjudicated involving religious liberty on account of these COVID-19 restrictions, contact the Thomas More Society. We have representatives in every state, and we or we can be specially admitted in particular cases, and we can handle it for you if it's it's a case that, that has some merit to it and should be adjudicated in the post-Brooklyn diocese environment, where, where we're now where the test is being applied properly. Mm. In terms of, of vaccination, we have a major problem coming, with private enterprise cooperating with government and forcing people to be vaccinated. That issue is going to have to be litigated. Wow. It was a case back, we're, back in we're the We're out of time. 1900s.
4: Christopher, forgive me. I did it to you twice now. I did it last week and I did it this That's week. Okay. I problem. am so sorry, but we are out of time. Christopher Ferrar of the St. Thomas More Society, thank you for being on today. Thank you for being a part of our program.
6: You're welcome. Thanks.
4: All right. Uh, praise be to Jesus. That's going to do it for Hour 1. If you're joining us in Hour 2, we have the... Uh, best Catholic trivia game show ever. You're going to learn something. You're going to have a little fun. Plus, there's prizes involved. So if you want to be a part of that, stick around. I'll tell you how on the other side of the break. But uh, we also are going to speak with a man by the name of Aaron Sang. He has got a great new product he's developing that will be a wonderful resource in your house, in your home. Maybe use that technology that's been spying on you for advertising to to put it to good use, teaching and learning the faith. Aaron Seng will be on the program. All that coming up in the next hour. So don't go anywhere. More of Catholic Drive Time is coming up next, keeping you informed and inspired. May God bless you.
3: Thank you for joining
1: us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station.
2: Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com Catholic drive
4: time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time.
2: Be sure to share more than just us today.
0: Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Daily
3: Mass is moving to the afternoon. Holy Mass has been a beloved component of our programming lineup for 20 years in the early morning time slot on the Guadalupe Radio Network. We are excited to announce that the 3 p.m. hour will become a holy hour, starting with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, followed by sacred music or spiritual reflections, and concluding with the Holy Mass at 3.30. The Holy Mass on the Guadalupe Radio Network, every weekday at 3.30 p.m.
0: Unbelievers often reject religion because it sometimes causes conflict. They'll say, science will fly you to the moon, religion will fly you into buildings. Is this a rational basis for rejecting religion? The answer is no, and here's the reason. First, just because something causes conflict doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. For example, many wars have been fought over land. Does this mean we should do away with the right to private property? I don't think so. Second, the objection doesn't specify which religions cause war. It may belong to the essence of some religions to spread its message by the sword, and these we should reject, but it doesn't belong to all religions. So, to the question, should I reject religion because it causes conflict? The answer is no. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. For victory
2: in life, we've got to
6: keep focused on the goal, and the goal is heaven. The key to winning is choosing to do God's will and love others with all you've got. Sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's Word, we receive grace from the sacraments. And when
2: we fumble due to sin, and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field. So if you haven't been going to Mass Weekly, get back in the game. We're saving your seat on the starting bench this Sunday. Welcome home.
1: We have got some good news. The new version of the Guadalupe Radio Network app is out now. The new version offers big improvements with even more on the way. You'll be able to find and listen to your station no matter where you are and switch between our English and Spanish stations with ease. Missed your favorite GRN show? You can find all past episodes as podcasts on the app. To download or update the app, search your app store for the Guadalupe Radio Network.
2: Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time Keeping you informed and inspired
0: We love God, we ought to be able to talk
2: about Him Getting you started on your day
1: With the latest in breaking news and information From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between
2: It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time With Joe
3: McLean and Emily Alcaraz
2: Praise be
4: Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time keeping you informed and inspired I'm your host, Joe McLean It's great to be on with you this morning how was your day? By the grace of God, we have an opportunity to face whatever is in front of us today. And we're going to be praying about that intention here in just a minute, but we have a, a wonderful program lined up for you today. We just wrapped up a great conversation with Christopher Ferrara of the St. Thomas More Society about religious liberty. and Great conversation. If you did listen to that hour, well, may I suggest, check out grnonline.com forward slash cdt, and you can find the podcast there very easily. Just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Uh, but uh, Emily Alcaraz is out today.
5: Adrian Fonseca felt like he needed a few extra tasks, so he's doing double duty today. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. I, I felt like I needed to uh, take on some more tasks, so here I am, and <laughs> I'll be reading the news today. So here you are. Praise be to Jesus. And uh, We had a great time doing that last hour, so that'll be
4: coming up here in just a moment. Breaking news and stories. And then, of course, later in our program, we're going to have the best ever Catholic trivia game show on radio. That's coming up. It's called Fear and Trembling. It is a good time. All right? We have fun with it. I have the questions in my hand. There are three questions, three opportunities at possibly winning this week's prize. Our sponsor is Isaiah Books from IsaiahBooks.co.uk. They're giving out a bundle of children's books for Christmas, and we'll be, uh, we'll be drawing a winner out for that this week. So that's all on the docket today. Also... We'll be speaking later in the show with Aaron Sang. He's got a product he's trying to develop called Box. The idea here is, uh, you know that uh, smart connected device that spies on you and uh, that way you can advertise things to you all the time in your house? I'm thinking of you, Echo Dot. I'm thinking of you, Google. Uh, okay, so that device could also be used for good. I mean, there are other such examples, but one is this Tritivox thing. So imagine you're having a conversation with your friends or your family, and you're like, I wonder what the church teaches about X, Y, or Z. You know, hey, Tritivox, what does the church teach about this? And then it would tell you, wouldn't that be amazing? We'll, we'll talk to him about that. He's developing that. That's going to be later in our program. But uh, let's draw our intentions together and let us pray. So whatever's on your plate today, your, your medical needs, your material needs, your spiritual needs, Financial needs, the stress at work, the stress at home, uh, getting the kids to school, getting to work on time, all of that, whatever you're facing today, society and the headline news and the depression that has been creeping in more and more and more every day during this uh, pandemic. Let's bring these intentions to Our Lady, that she may whisper them into the ear of her son, that he may draw us ever so close into his most sacred heart in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. Hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Adrian
5: Fonseca. A USCCB committee has decided that all are welcome is not a welcome hymn at Mass. The Doctrine Committee of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, USCCB, earlier this year produced a guide to evaluating the lyrics of hymns on the basis of their doctrinal content, noting the Vatican II declared sacred music's purpose to be, quote, the glory of God in the sanctification of the faithful. The U.S. Bishops' Doctrine Committee provided two general guidelines for determining whether a hymn is doctrinally suitable for liturgical use. Number one, whether it conforms to Catholic doctrine, and number two, whether its images and vocabulary appropriately reflect the usage of Scripture in the liturgical prayer of the Church. President Trump has made Christmas Eve a federal holiday. Trump's order has all has said, quote, all executive departments and agencies of the federal government shall be closed and their employees excused from duty on Thursday, December 24, 2020, the day before Christmas Day. End quote. The news was a welcome surprise for workers who expected at most a half day. A former president's Barack Obama and Bill Clinton only gave half days when Christmas fell on a Friday, as it does this year. The U.S. Cabinet Departments have adopted a rule protecting organizations' religious freedom, freedom rights. Previously, religious institutions were which participated in federal programs were subject to policies which critics say unfairly imposed upon the religious liberty of the organizations. For instance, religious organizations who received federal money were required to have quote any religious activities by the organization be separated in time or location from any services directly Funded with federal money. End quote. This is no longer the case. The Department of Education said in a statement yesterday. Quote: This final rule also declares, also clarifies that religious organizations do not lose various legal protections because they participate in federal programs and activities, including the right to accommodation and conscious protection. Zinn said that Jimmy Lai's arrest is part of a campaign of political intimidation. In an interview. The Emeritus Bishop of Hong Kong said that the arrest of Jimmy Lai, a Catholic pro-democracy advocate and the founder of the Hong Kong newspaper Apple Daily, was just the most recent example of the communist authorities attempting to stifle a free press. Lai was charged December 2nd with breaching the terms of a lease by his company, Next Digital Media. Lai has previously been arrested and bailed under the terms of the new Hong Kong national security law imposed on the territory in July for pro-democracy advocacy. Karno Zinn told CNA that attacks on basic freedoms in Hong Kong extended beyond political repression and represented a growing threat to the church. Austrian Catholic leaders are deploring a court ruling on assisted suicide. The Constitutional Court argued in in its December 11th ruling that the country's criminal code is unconstitutional because its ban on assisted suicide violates the right to self-determination. It ordered the government to lift the prohibition in 2021. In a December 11 statement, Archbishop Franz Lachner said that the court's judgment that the ban on assisted suicide was unconstitutional was a fundamental cultural breach. These are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens.
4: St. Virginia Bracelli, pray for us. Now, St. Virginia, we're talking born in 1587 in Genoa, Italy, Uh, well-to-do family, by the way. Uh, But she should remind you a lot of St. Rita of Cassia, a a very well-known saint, I would say. Uh, I love St. Rita's story for many reasons. As a young girl, she really felt like she was called to this religious life. In fact, she built her own little hermitage right next to the house and lived in it for a year uh, well Saint, uh, Saint Virginia Bracelli has a similar story as a young girl. she really felt called to the religious life as well, really desiring to give her whole life to christ for for to become his bride forever. Well, because of her parents' status in society, it was not proper uh, to 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 allow her to do that in fact, they arranged a marriage for her. Uh, Much against her her desires, but she gave herself in obedience to her parents. And uh, Dramaldi Bracelli became her husband on 10 December 1602. Now, the problem is, Dramaldi was a drinker and a gambler. Not a very good husband. Very similar, again, to St. Rita of Cassia. Another good one would be Blessed Elizabeth Canora Mora, too, by the way. Look her up. She is utterly amazing, Blessed Elizabeth Canora Mora. But going back to St. Virginia Bracelli. So her husband wasn't that uh, that great of an example. But nonetheless, she gave herself in an obedience and faithfulness to her marriage. And uh, she endured the sufferings as best she could, offering them up as penance and reparation for sins committed against the Immaculate Heart and Sacred Heart of Christ. And uh, they had two children, two daughters. Now, in uh, 1607, her husband died. She was 20 years old with these two children. She moves in with her in-laws. And she begins to care for them. But her heart is still drawn. She just does this passion to give herself completely over to the service of the Lord. When her mother in law finally passes, she transforms her house. By this time, her daughters are raised, but by her, she transforms her house into like a makeshift hospital of sorts. She takes in the sick, she takes in the, the wayward, she takes in the, uh, the orphans, she takes in the homeless. A plague and a famine breaks out, and she takes in even more, and to the point where she needed more space, so she rents the abandoned convent down the road, and she has up to 300 patients she's caring for. Finally, she's recognized as a hospital, and she ends up building a center, a center of mercy for our Lord Jesus Christ to care and protect the the poor and the destitute and it was overrun as well and she needed even more space she buys two villas and she ends up building a chapel to our lady of refuge very successful was her efforts to care for those most in need and her her organization her community uh, began to grow and spread she helped found two religious orders as a matter of fact she helped bring back the 40 hours devotion but as she tried to retire from the administration of all of this the big donors stopped giving because they were afraid that without her there, you know, things might be different. And they d- they didn't want to deal directly with the uh, sort of the poor people. And they liked uh, St. Virginia being the middle ground. She had to get back involved in order to ensure that the finances would continue. And she spent her life just asking for those gifts. And this is how she spent her whole life. And she would die on 15 December 1651 having served our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with great devotion, great piety, and great example. St. Virginia Baraceli, pray for us. Another Holy Gospel comes to you from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. It's a continuation from yesterday. You might recall we talked about Jesus confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They wanted to know by what authority he did these things. And he's like, okay, well, let me ask you a question. John's baptism. Was it of heaven or of man? And they didn't want to answer. They didn't want to commit to an answer. So that was yesterday. This is a continuation. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, what is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son said in reply, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, Yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Uh, Adrian, great gospel there. We, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of. I'm thinking of myself here. We glance over the gospels. too quickly sometimes. And I know I've been guilty of this passage, reading it and sort of reading it on the surface, but there's still more going on here. And I think there's some great comparisons and parallels to our own time.
5: Absolutely. Yeah, I think the, the most clear sense, is you know, we have the different senses of Scripture, and I think the most clear sense is obviously the literal interpretation, which our Lord explains the parable to us. I mean, the, the Jews are obviously the first child who says, yes, Lord, yes, Father, I will go and do, do the work of my Father, and then he chooses not to. Uh, Then the the Pharisees, uh, I mean, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're obviously the second child who goes on and is rejected the father, uh, but then has a conversion of heart and goes out and does the will of the father. Uh, So that's the most clear and obvious example of the interpretation of that passage. But Alapide gives a a different interpretation of a a modern interpretation looking at or applying it to today. And he shows that the uh, evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience, that whenever the layman uh, exercises those virtues, exercises the evangelical counsels, they are taking on uh, being the second child where at first they don't, they're not joining religious life. They're not becoming priests and sisters and brothers, Mm. uh, but they take on those councils. Anyways, they become like the second child. While the religious, the brothers, the sisters, the priests, the monks who have taken these vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, they are actually becoming the first child where they say, yes, Father, I will do the will of my Father, but then reject him. And how often do we see so many priests today— Uh, So many religious today that have rejected the evangelical council, have rejected their vows, their, their charism of their community, and have become like the first child. Yeah. I also see many parallels here. It's one of the common themes throughout
4: the Old Testament, even. Is the 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 two the two brothers right the competing brothers uh, and even there's a theme of of young versus old even among Adam and Eve and you compare that and contrast that to say the prodigal son so we see this reoccurring theme of these uh, contrasting uh, siblings or family members and I think it's fascinating because when Jesus says even the tax collectors. And the prostitutes recognize. And we think of the dialogue, right? The argument that we must be in dialogue. And yes, you're right. We have to be. We want more dialogue, not less. But that dialogue has a purpose and it has an agenda to bring people to Christ. And if it doesn't serve that cause, then it's wasted dialogue, really. Uh, think of the dialogue between uh, our Lord and Zacchaeus. Think of the dialogue between our Lord and the woman at the well, the man born blind, right? There's, so, there's opp- opportunities. The man, the rich man, right? There's dialogue there, but when it comes to Pharisees, Sadducees, and the clergy, uh, there's less dialogue. It's more. It's more catching them in their trap. It's more giving them uh, a clear, uh, very clear answer to what they are set out to do. In other words, they're trying to stone him to death. They don't like the competition. They certainly don't want to listen and uh, and hear anything he has to say. And Jesus understands that. He's not uh, our Lord being omniscient. He understands exactly what's in their heart. He can. He can know that, so he calls them out, and I think it's powerful because even the tax collectors and the prostitutes have recognized this moment of your visitation of the Messiah, and they responded accordingly, and you should too. And I think that lesson is good for all of us. We should all understand and recognize the moment of the visitation of the Lord, who's come to us to draw us ever so closer to his most sacred heart, through the Immaculate Heart of his, of his Mother, Our Lady, right let us respond to that let us not be like pharisees sadducees and clergy but rather like the tax collectors and the prostitutes even responding to grace amen game show's coming up next don't go anywhere more cabin drive time do you
1: remember writing your christmas wish list as a child and wondering what santa would bring in many developing countries like haiti most children don't make christmas lists and they don't expect christmas gifts Often, every penny their parents earn must go to their basic needs like food, shelter, and water. Now picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift. You can spark that magical moment by sending them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org.
6: Joe McClain.
4: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Fear and Trembling, Catholic Trivia Game Show, allowing you to work out your salvation by the seat of your pants, right, in fear and trembling. We stole that. Okay, we stole it completely from St. Paul, Philippians 2.12. So not original bone in my body there, but uh, here's how this works. We have uh, three questions, three opportunities to win some prizes, and this week we have some cool prizes. Well, I'll mention that in one second, but... Emily Alcaraz is not, is not with us today. She had to be out today. So standing in her seat, or sitting in her seat today, is our good friend David Maggianis. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Pray, are you ready for this?
6: Uh, I think so. Uh, you might have to explain this
4: again now, to me. If I recall correctly, according to your resume, you are an expert in all things related to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and have, has memorized it uh, quite extensively.
6: Wow, you saw that on my resume.
4: Somewhere. I can't recall. Okay. Maybe it was LinkedIn. I don't know, but okay. it's there.
6: So you're
5: totally qualified for
6: this. Uh, let's go with that, let's yes. Go, let's
5: go let's with that. Go with you that. Know, I think a lot of these questions on here is not even in the catechism, the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs>
4: All right. Let's not give away the trade secrets. Okay. So here's how this works.
5: All right. So we have a caller that
4: uh, calls in at 877-757-9424 as our contestant. But we don't ask the caller the question. No. Instead, we ask you, David, and you, Adrian, the question. One of you will have a right answer. One of you will have a wrong answer. The caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to decide who's right and who's wrong. If they choose correctly, they get a chance in the prize, and, uh, and we're calling it the, uh, the Divine—no, it's, uh, it's the Coffee Cup of, Div- of Divine Providence. Something like that. That uh, works for me. We need a plaque. I need to be we'll, able to remember we'll it. We'll, we'll make something official. <laughs> All right, so three questions, three chances it goes
5: into the, uh, the coffee cup. And we have sponsors, right? We have a,
4: we have Absolutely. A we have
5: a sponsor. Today's sponsor, uh, I believe it is, do you remember the name of Isaiah it? Isaiah's books. books. Isaiah Books. And they are giving away a bundle of, uh, Christmas children's books. So that's what you have a chance to win today, uh, this week. If you are drawn, your name is drawn, you, that's what you have a chance to win, a bundle of Christmas children's books. So praise God. Yeah, thank you, Isaiah Books, isaiahbooks.co.uk,
4: for generously uh, donating these, this bundle of Christmas books for this prize this week. So let's turn to the callers here. Uh, Alan, good morning to you. Good morning, Joe, uh, David, and Adrian. Please good morning, Jesus. good morning. It's good to have you on. Thanks for being a part of the, the program today, calling in from Houston, Texas, I see. So, Alan, do you understand the rules? Do you understand how the game is played? I believe that I do, Joe. Are, are, are you ready, Alan? <laughs> I am ready. Estoy listo, as we say in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to start with uh, David, since uh, he sits in Emily's seat. We always start with Emily first. Are, are you ready, David? Let's go. Are you ready, Adrian? As ready as I can be. First question. Here we go. What capital sin is being committed when one abuses narcotics? Which which capital sin is being committed when one abuses narcotics, David?
6: Okay. I I think I know this one. I think it... uh I think it's gluttony. You think? I'm going to go with that. Is that your final answer? That is my final Are answer, you sure? Joe.
4: I, I did, you didn't sound too confident there. I'm not sure. Yeah,
6: I know. It's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. All right, it's a let's, tough let's one. go to
4: Adrian. Adrian. Adrian, okay. capital sin is committed when one abuses narcotics?
5: Aye, aye. Um, see, that's difficult. I'm going to – I mean, pride is the answer to every all the pride. sins, right? So pride. I'm going to go with pride because, you know, the pride is um, – You have to have, you puff yourself up with pride and you you take control over your own faculties. Uh, So that's going to be my guess. Sounded way more confident than David. He did. Although I'm not buying it. Well, I just always sound confident. He's
4: (laughs) selling, but I'm not sure I'm buying. But it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what Alan thinks. Alan, you got 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? David's on the books for gluttony. And uh, Adrian's on the books for pride. Alan, 15 seconds. What say you? That that is
6: that is a good one. Um, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, David on this one.
4: Your answer is gluttony. Survey says. Congratulations! Woo-hoo! Way wow. to go, Alan. Alan from Houston. I was wow. already in the uh, the the coffee cup of divine providence, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm starting. It takes me seven or eight thousand tries before I finally nail it. But uh, and thanks to our sponsor this week, IsaiahBooks.co.uk for for uh, gener- uh, generously giving us the prize. All right. Second question: Are you ready, Alan? Yes. We're going to go to Adrian slow. first. We're going to go to Adrian first on this one. This one this one is a little tough one, okay? So I'm going to be honest. It's a little spicy. A little, little tough. Okay. Here we go. What was the most dangerous of the heresies that denied the sacraments and the entire ecclesiastical hierarchy?
5: Adrian Fonseca. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Uh, Ooh. So this could be a, a number of different heresies. But considering all the all the points you listed, I'm going to go with the Albigensian heresy, because that's the heresy that Our Lady gave the rosary to combat. So I'm going to go with the Albigensian heresy. I don't know.
4: Looking at the look on David's face, he's not in agreement with you. So let's just see, David, which heresy uh, was the most dangerous heresy that denied both the sacraments and the entire ecclesiastical hierarchy.
6: Where where do you find these questions? <laughs> wow! In <laughs> the catechism, obviously. <laughs> obviously, I guess. That, that's know, a tough one too. I'll remind you of your resume, sir. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Arianism. I I've read that somewhere, okay. and I can't remember exactly, okay. but uh, it, I
4: saw that the other day. All right, so you're on the books for Arianism. Adrian is on the books for the Albigensian heresy. But it doesn't matter. Let's just see what Alan thinks. He's got 15 seconds. Who's right? Who's wrong? Alan Mallory, what say you? I should know this one. That is also a good one.
6: Um, On this one, I'm going to go with Adrian, Albigensianism.
4: Survey says?
6: Wow.
4: (laughs) Two for two so far. Wow. 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 I think we're gonna have to come up with harder questions. I know. Are these too easy? Like every like the last couple of times, it's been a perfect score. So you're very close. You're one shot away from a perfect score, Alan. Are you excited about that? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I am. But
6: it's not over until the fat lady sings. Wow. (laughs) Well,
4: right then. Okay. So third question. Third question. Super hard. Okay, this time super hard. Are you ready? Uh, yes. David, we're going to go back to you first. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready?
5: Uh let's go for Are it. Are you ready?
4: I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What term applies to the actual moment of the incarnation when the angel informed Mary that she would be the mother of
6: God? Okay, yeah. I know this one. The Annunciation. Of course. Of course. Very fast in your response.
4: Yes. You don't want to think it through?
6: No, no. You're sure? Yes, I am sure. You're positive. Positive. Phone a friend?
4: Want to phone a friend? No, No. not
6: on this show. No. Okay, because Alan's
4: (laughs) on the line. We can always ask Alan. That's true. Uh, All right, so let's go to Adrian. Let's see how he fares in this question. What term applies to the actual moment of the Incarnation?
5: Well, the Incarnation is the moment that our Lord is conceived in our lady's womb so i'm going to say the immaculate conception right the immaculate conception mm. Mm, tough one
4: T- we just celebrated the immaculate conception oh that's right so all right uh, david's on the board for the annunciation adrian's on the board for immaculate conception alan you have 15 seconds to decide who's right who's wrong alan what say you
6: we're catholic we have just affirmed it <laughs> life begins at conception I go with David. It is the Annunciation.
4: Survey says.
6: <laughs> Woo-wee.
5: Woo-wee. Wow. Three for three. Amazing. Amazing.
4: I thought for a second there you were going to go with Imaglia. Yeah, conception. me too. I mean, you were like going down that road and I thought he's going to lose it. But you got it, right? No,
6: Father Preston Cantella has said that is a heresy. He (laughs) said it, and I made eye contact with him and gave him a nose nod, and he looked at me and laughed. That is a heresy.
4: All right. Well, praise be to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Alan, congratulations. Perfect score, good sir. Perfect score. Your name goes into the coffee cup of divine providence. Not once, not twice, but three times. We'll draw out a winner, and the winner of this week's Game Prize Pack We'll get a bundle of Christmas books thanks to isaiahbooks.co.uk. Thank you, Isaiah Books, for your generous gift to our listeners today. Stay on the line. Thank you, Alan, for uh, calling in to our game show line. today.
6: Th- th- thank you, guys. All Have right. Great and
7: uh,
4: yes. Praise be to Jesus. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time and the breaking news coming up next.
2: Why do
1: Protestants not believe John 6 when it says that Jesus' flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink? I don't know.
3: In Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, Jesus says of the bread, this is my body. He says of the wine, this is my blood. Not this is symbolic of or this represents. He says this is. In John 6, he repeats himself like he does nowhere else in Scripture to emphasize the fact that he expects us to eat his flesh and drink his blood and that his flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink. Anyone who says he is speaking symbolically and not literally simply is refusing to look at all the facts. Fact number one. The Jews took him literally. We see that in verse 52. Fact number two, his disciples took him literally. We see that in verse 60. Fact number three, the apostles took him literally. Verses 67 to 69. If everyone who heard him speak at the time took him literally, then my question is... Why does anyone today, 2,000 years after the fact, take him symbolically? Also, in verse 51 of John 6, Jesus says that the bread which he will give for the life of the world is his flesh. When did he give his flesh for the life of the world? On the cross. Was that symbolic? If you think Jesus is speaking symbolically here when he says that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood, then you must also conclude that Jesus' death on the cross was only symbolic. It wasn't really Jesus hanging up there. It was symbolic flesh and symbolic blood. Jesus is clearly talking about the flesh that he gave for the life of the world. He did that on the cross. Those who believe he is talking symbolically here in John 6 have a real problem when it comes to John 6, verse 51. Did Jesus give us his real flesh and blood for the life of the world? Or was it only his symbolic flesh and blood?
0: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome
5: back to Catholic Drive Time. Here is your Tuesday morning headline news from a Catholic lens. The American bishops have approved the use of coronavirus vaccinations with a remote connection to abortion. The bishop said in a statement published yesterday, quote, In view of the gravity of the current pandemic and the lack of availability of alternative vaccines, the reasons to accept the new COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna are sufficiently serious to justify their use. Despite their remote connection to morally compromised cell lines, end quote, they added that the Catholics cannot allow the pandemic to desensitize or weaken our determination to oppose the evil of abortion. Conversely, the vaccine produced by AstraZeneca, quote, should be avoided if there are alternatives available, said the bishops, as the vaccine is more more morally compromised. A U.S. bill against Uyghur forced labor is getting corporate lobbyists' attention. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act passed the House on September 22nd by a vote of 406 to 3. The legislation would treat all goods imported from China's Zhejiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in the far west as being created with forced labor unless certified otherwise by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. An estimated 1 million or more Uyghurs members of a Muslim ethno-religious minority group have been detained in re-education camps in Zizhang, which was which were first spotted on satellite imagery in 2017. The Chinese government at one time denied the camps existed, but has since shifted to defending its actions as an appropriate terrorism prevention measure. Bishops in Northeastern Italy are permitting general absolution at Christmas due to the pandemic, Catholic bishops in northeast Italy have said that the risk of illness amid the ongoing pandemic constitutes a grave necessity, permitting priests to confer the sacrament of reconciliation under the third form, also called general absolution. Before before and during the Christmas season, the decision was made in consultation with the Apostolic Penitentiary, which is responsible for issues related to the forgiveness of sins. The bishop stressed the importance of keeping community penitential celebrations separate from the Mass and giving proper instructions on the extraordinary nature of the form adopted for the sacraments. On December 21st, the planets Jupiter and Saturn will appear a tenth of a degree apart in the night sky. Something called a Great Conjunction, this conjunction happens approximately every 20 years. But this year, the two planets will appear the closest they have been in almost 400 years. To the naked eye, they will look like one bright star, thus earning the nickname the Christmas Star. Some astronomers have theorized that this conjunction of the two bright planets could be what the three wise men from the east saw in the sky and followed, leading them to find the Christ child, as recounted in St. Matthew's Gospel. These are your Tuesday morning headlines. Through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus
4: Christ. Thank you, Adrian Fonseca, for reading the news today. Uh, Emily Alcrez is out today. Prayerfully, she should be back very soon. Uh, but uh, don't forget, you can always check out the podcast version of the show. First hour was great. We had Christopher Ferrara on from the St. Thomas More Society, talked about religious liberty and more. You can find the podcasts on our website at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. GRANonline.com forward slash CDT. The podcasts are posted there. Uh, I highly encourage you to check that out. But joining us now by Zoom chat is a gentleman named Aaron Sang from Tradivox, Inc. Now this is a very uh, going to be a fascinating conversation. you know you might recall second thessalonians two fifteen when Saint Paul says, "Stand firm to hold fast to the traditions that we have handed on by word of mouth or by letter uh, Now the context there i don 't want to jump into that at the moment, but it, the more bigger broader stroke conversation I want to have is as I personally and myself and my family move more traditional in our our piety and worship. Uh, you know, the thought came to me, what does it mean to embrace the tradition of the Church? Is it is it more than just a traditional Mass, for instance? Could it be more, and what would that be? Well, this project caught our attention because uh, Aaron is uh, reviving old catechisms, which I absolutely love old books, and especially old Catholic books and old catechisms. It's pretty fascinating, making these more accessible to us, the faithful, in a modern and digital age. So joining us now by Zoom is Aaron Sang. Good morning, Aaron.
7: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
4: Praise be to Jesus. Thanks for being on with us. Where, where do you come from, by the way,
7: Aaron? Originally, Northern Indiana.
4: Oh, no kidding. Most of my family is from Indiana. Uh, pretty spread throughout the state. Uh, so, which are you? Is it Purdue? Is
7: it IU? How do you How do you roll with that? Oh, golly. that's that's not safe. Yes, we're uh, <laughs> we're actually backyard of Notre Dame. So that's oh, that's I see, I see. Yeah, You're of that uh,
4: flavor and mindset. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I'm only teasing, of course, but. Uh, so tell us about TradiVox. It's kind of an, a, an interesting name. Uh, what What is this project and what led you to get started?
7: Sure. It's a um, U.S.-based nonprofit. We're uh, working under the Episcopal advisement of uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Some of your listeners will be familiar with um, out of Kazakhstan. And um, it's several years now kind of proceeding on the quiet uh, background work uh, last several years, a number of internationally-based copyists, editors, researchers, of course, and it's it's really only the last year or so that we've kind of gotten noticed a bit more. Um, our original thought was this was going to be kind of a scholarly project where we're really trying to gather the catechisms issued with official approval of the better part of the last millennium. Our earliest text is uh, kind of mid-1200s uh, all the way to the mid-1900s, and so we're, we're trying to get kind of bookended in the earliest really accessible texts all the way to the end of the public domain law. So that's, that's kind of the The scope of the project. And like I said, our, our original focus was a bit more scholarly, we wanted to have Really a collation of all these texts being able to talk to each other. There's never been an attempt to um, Certainly not to recover them all and issue them as a multi volume collection. Um, that was, that was really the the original view. Um, as I said, under Bishop Schneider's advisement, we kind of began to see there was a little more uh, wide interest and a desire for these texts and to and make them a little more accessible. So we kind of rethought some parts of the project uh, in that vein. We ended up partnering with Sophia Institute Press uh, to do some of the physical reproductions of the text. So we have a lot, there's kind of two aspects of the project. We're going to have both a 20 volume physical hard copy collection. That's going to be really just the best of the best of uh, the catechism's better part of the last millennium. And then digitally, we're going to deploy even more content than that. There are it, it comes as news to a lot of folks, uh, even Catholics, that uh, there are thousands of catechisms. In not the just Catholic the catechism of the Catholic Church. There's more than that That's right Wow, that's right, yes, yes. and um, and that in every major language on earth. I mean we're we're talking, yes, in, in, in the thousands. And so so digitally it's it's amazing. those tools, a lot of these softwares that are kind of just coming into their own now, Um, that we're able to utilize some of that to deploy, you know, more of this content and then make it really instantly indexable, you know, cross-referenceable. That's, that's really the vision. Uh, Are you familiar with Verbum? Yes. Uh, How will the digital side compare to that? Uh, Very similar. In fact, we're, we're hoping to have more conversations with them about something in this vein. They, they have just, I think they have maybe two now, they could. They were talking about bringing a third on as well. Hmm. Um, of course, they have the '92 catechism. Well, I should say the most recent edition of the '1992 uh, catechism. <laughs> and um, so, but but yes, we're uh, we're we're looking at it'll be something similar. The major difference is that our the tool. I was just talking with our our digital folks the other day. The um, the tool interface is going to be markedly different. It, it's going to be much more. Um, I want to say a a little more intuitive. It'll be a little more of a, um, just layman's it'll look more like Google, frankly, it'll be, you know, Hey, I come on and it's a, it's a Catholic search engine. I mean, that's really what the catechism was conceived to be as a Mm -hmm. genre was, you know, what's the simplest kind of bite-sized distillation we can make of 2000 years of of Catholic tradition, teaching (laughs) and doctrine, and then make that just, yes, digestible bits. Uh, That's really the vision that we're pursuing.
4: You know, uh, for the sake of our audience, Veraboom is a a product that came out, uh, I guess it's been about 10 years or more now. And uh, I was actually able to be involved very early on in that project. I helped to connect them to some key folks around the United States. Uh, And uh, so I was able to see some of the earliest versions of that product. It was fascinating. So essentially what it does is it takes the Bible and connects it to church uh, documents, uh, early church fathers and scholars and and commentaries, and, and creates this searchable database. So that if you're trying to do research on a particular topic, especially if you're or like, say, a student uh, studying theology or a pastor, a priest who's preparing for a homily, it becomes a very powerful tool to, uh, to, draw, to drive all this information and, and bring it to your fingertips. But one of the things I would say, Aaron, was uh, when I felt for the average layperson, it was overwhelming, the amount of data and how to sort through all of that. So it sounds like you're really taking that into consideration, making this way more accessible.
7: Yes, on the digital side certainly and and part of that is our desire to just disappear behind the content. I mean we we want to allow the greatest catechists of church history really to speak for themselves. and so mm. the genre, as I say, um, in in and of itself, the catechetical genre was driven chiefly by that idea was just how can we how can we distill this content? how can we make it um, accessible? and so you find catechisms, for instance, that are the target audience can be widely varied. That's part of why we wanted to recover such a range of them, even in the physical uh, series, which Sophia Press has done a, a great job. I mean, they're they're beautiful. I, I, I'm kicking myself because I. <laughs> I don't think I have one handy. I'd have to go grab it. But um, Well, you can grab hard- one after the break. We'll, grab, we'll <laughs> do that. Go. We'll do that, <laughs> yes. The, the hard copy is, is gorgeous. I mean, that's – and, I, you know, there's folks like me that are just always going to love uh, a, a physical book, you know. So, yes. Yay yeah.
4: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and amen. You know, that's a fascinating point to bring up, actually. I, I have an iPad. I'm actually using it to conduct the Zoom interview right now. But I, I actually got the iPad mostly because – I wanted to be able to read digital products on it, and, and I do read quite a bit on it, but even still, it's it's kind of hard. It's not exactly easy. Maybe the uh, the Kendall fire is a little easier because they try to simulate paper a little better. However, uh, there's nothing like picking up a book, especially one that grips you. I just finished reading Warren Carroll's uh, book on The Conquering of Darkness. There's just nothing quite like that experience of especially an old book. You know, John Carroll's The Church of Liberty and Culture, fascinating old Catholic book. The text, the, 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 the experience of it in your hand is unquestionable. We're going to talk about that, plus more digital opportunities to learn the faith with Aaron Seng at Trattie Box coming up on the other side of the break. So I don't want you to go anywhere, more
0: Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore. Science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain, thus it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
2: This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that the World Associates fanaticism with religion, but G.K. Chesterton says that the strangest fanaticism that fills our time is the fanatical hatred of morality, especially of Christian morality. It is the irreligious who are fanatical in their hatred of religion. They hate religion because religion is the only basis for morality. They hate morality because it is clear, and they prefer things to be vague vague to the point where they can call wrongs rights. But we cannot call something a right when it defies God's laws. We can only call it a sin, because all rights come from God, and God is not going to break his own laws, neither should we. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, Chesterton.org. Praise
4: be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Cabot Drive Time keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be on with you this morning. We're talking with Aaron Sang from Vox, a project that's bringing and reviving old catechisms. I wonder, uh, dear audience, did you even know that there were thousands of catechisms out there, not just the one that we've all have on our on our bookshelves. I think I have it in my bag as a matter of fact. I, I used to read the uh, the JP2 catechism as a daily reader. It's a, you know, systematic theology, but Aaron Sang is here on the phone with us or by, by a Zoom and we're having this conversation about about catechisms. Aaron, thank you for being a part of our program again.
7: Thank you, Joe. Great to be on.
4: Now, I want to talk about—I wanted to—we were talking at the end before we had to go to break, talking about the, the, the sort of the experience of having a book, and I, I have to agree. I just love my library of books, and I love sitting down with a good book, especially anything Catholic, Catholic history-related. But the, the need to have digital products in this time and age, I think, could be more important than ever uh, because there's so much competition for our attention. Number one, number two. I feel like the average Catholic, not scholars, not students, the average Catholic, probably spends almost no time learning their faith. So, making things more accessible probably could help with that. What say you, Aaron saying?
7: Yes, I'd have to agree. I think the the um, one of the things we looked at a lot when we were considering a, a just a digital tool generally was if if we could make something available. It'd be kind of like inserting, you know, this this the voice of tradition into the contemporary conversation, and that was that was really the origin of the of the name uh, the organization Tradivox was to combine this. It's it's really a portmanteau, of course, uh, for the Latin, you know, tradition, the, the handing on uh, of the faith, and then with folks, just voice, and that was really the idea was we could combine those two things, really just giving a voice to that which has already been, you know, believed, held, taught, always, everywhere, and by all, Mm. um, but then making that a voice, a a live voice in many ways, and that's, without going too far into it, I, part of what our digital team especially gets excited about is the capacity of some of these tools that we have now, I'm thinking specifically of softwares like text-to-speech, softwares like voice recognition, I mean, these kind of things that a lot of times, it just—at least for me—give me the heebie-jeebies. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but right. we're really we're able to harness that with this kind of a data set uh, that's never been done. I mean, that's that's something that we see a ton of potential with. You know, the day that I can pull out my device or, or click on my, my Bluetooth and my car stereo and say, you know, what's, uh, what's the church teach on? You know, what's the catechism teach on the Eucharist? And then hear back, you know, would you like that from the Council of Trent or <laughs> the Baltimore catechism? You know, I mean, these kind of things. And then just hear it read back to me, you know, yeah. very topically specific. So those are the kind of things I think that we, we, we need to be able to be in that digital space. Um, with with authentic content yeah Yeah, i had a
5: question regarding uh the catechisms is there like a a specific because there's so much um there's a lack of catechesis for children nowadays are there any uh catechisms that you've come across that are like children's catechisms or teen catechisms that would be great because i know everyone talks about for teenagers and for children the baltimore catechism what else is there out there
7: well galley there are so many um the of course the baltimore has has also been recycled many many different ways uh there are there was about a hundred years of that happening you know of of texts that were originally in the simplest possible distillate you can hardly find the original baltimore anymore um, usually you're getting kind of the one two or three steps removed um, repackaging you know of that original content and those are and those are great really many of their derivatives are good um, the, but there were, especially in the the late 1800s, but early 1900s, there was a huge focus on methods with um, with children and and various age demographics, and so there are lots of, um, for instance, catechetical stories, which I personally I just love. Um, I, I've seen a lot of, of uh, good impact of those with, of course, our children raising our kids and and um, and others as well. Um, so there's Levesik, uh Father Lovisic. There's um, Sparago uh, and Baxter, uh, there are a lot of names that did things like this, where they basically would take some catechism source text, like the Baltimore, and then they would just fill out a book's worth of stories, illustrations, anecdotes, examples, and then they would break it out really for different ages. You know, so you, you weren't going to get something inappropriate, you know, for little kids mm. uh, in the in the older classes. You know, these kind of things. Um, the, the one that gets, uh, the pictures get reproduced a lot is the My Catholic Faith, Bishop Morrow. Um, that ran in several, gosh, I think maybe six different editions. Um, Bishop Morrow's My Catholic Faith. That one has, actually, I've got it to hand right here uh, on this shelf. And that's the, it's the giant ledger size.
0: <laughs> yeah That's so for
7: those watching future.
5: online y'all can uh, see him hold up this catechism uh, right yeah. here so if you're online watching on YouTube Facebook or Periscope uh, Twitter you can see the uh, the catechism he's holding in his hands
7: yeah, some images like this that we would say you'd guaranteed to not want to go to purgatory when you when you you know Oh, wow. You so you see the image like that this, he's showing yeah. is
5: the uh, the souls in purgatory being burned in cleansing fire. It's a painful fire, but it's a cleansing fire, and it just really demonstrates for children uh, the, what uh, purgatory is like. It's not like we should be saying, oh, I'm just aiming for purgatory. <laughs>
4: yeah, not unlike right. what Our Lady said to the shepherd children in Fatima, right, uh, giving them a vision of hell and uh, anyway, we're talking with Aaron Sang and we're talking about Trattie Vox and this project to restore and revive all of these uh, old catechisms and bring them back to life and make them more accessible to to the faithful. I think it's a fascinating and uh, intriguing uh, proposition. Were there any favorites in the, the 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 treasure trove of catechisms that you discovered? Did you have any personal favorites?
7: Uh, yes. I mean, I, I've had personal favorites for some time, but they're, they're a little more obscure. I, um, of course, Trent, the Catechism of Trent, uh, the great conciliar text of the 16th century. That's uh, that's a good one. Um, the Catechism of St. Pius X, those are usually the two that I recommend, uh, the most for, for folks to own, you know, just personally a hard copy of those. Um, but my my favorites are a little more out there there's a there's a great bishop george hay who's um a scottish bishop uh in uh friends with richard challoner also bishop uh, richard challoner who your listeners might be more familiar with but so he wrote and and he was really one of the early uh authors of multi-volume catechisms there that was kind of end of the 1700s and then early 1800s is when that really began. You get more of these, more and more of these kind of compendious catechisms. And, uh, and so Hayes, I, I really appreciate that one. Um, Gaum hmm. Gaume is another one, the great French catechist. Um, and that, uh, Catechism of Perseverance that's, that's his. And that one, the, the unabridged version hasn't really seen the light of day in in, uh, well, well over a century. And, um, you can sometimes find the abridged version of that one, but but uh, Abigail's Catechism Perseverance—that's a that's a great one, one of my favorites too.
4: Going back to the the digital side and the future, the outlook. Uh, you talked a minute ago about uh, you know being able to search these these databases of catechisms and have uh, uh, you know AI read them to us. And and how far are we from uh, from the day? Where we could access this stuff through our favorite, uh, you know, home spy system like Equidot or, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the devices that hear, listen to us, and sell stuff to us as a result. How far are we away from being able to speak to those devices and have them to, you know, read us, that precisely locate these uh, particular questions and catechisms, and then give us solid answers? Like, how far away is that? Are we talking a couple of years? Are we talking a decade? Or, or
7: where, where are we at? Oh, I'd say a year or two. I mean, a lot depends on what kind of partnerships we can arrange. Um, our, our focus, I mean, that has been largely just the research side for the last several years. So, but we have all of that content. I mean, we have that content to hand. Um, we've been doing the archival storage and, and uh, remastering these texts for several years already. So we have, we have the stacks. Um, our team is is working right now on the actual interface. So, I mean, we're, We'll have the content out, deployed, searchable, even in this next year, twenty twenty one. The um, the kind of derivative works is is really the big question because mm. a lot of that we're we're a nonprofit, you know, so <laughs> you know how that goes. I do, yeah, uh, yeah. So so some of that's our, our bandwidth question, but uh, but there's of course there's growing interest in the content, so we're we're hopeful that uh, we'll we'll find more in that vein. Um, in terms of investors and, uh, and interest in, in being able to share that with the broader audience.
4: So will there be a cost to this product? I mean, in order to access this information, will, will there be a, a paywall or how, how will that work?
7: We'll be tearing some of it out um, just to make it sustainable. But uh, I mean, the original vision was to have it just openly accessible. Um, and that's, that's what we're going to shoot for is just having at least a certain amount of the text. That, uh, that anyone will be able to look at kind of a thing anyone will be able to search um, and i think the my hope is that we can have kind of a an initial level of searchability to all of the texts where you can you can kind of see see results essentially but um but some of it in terms of being able to then jump into the context you know reading it in context that some of those texts will then be you know there'll be some kind of a paywall or um and additional tools, things like um, uh, like a like a study tool suite, those mm. kind of things, that will be also uh, paywalled. But we want it to be very very low impact, you know, very uh, very doable for folks. Because our, our especially, we want families to be able to utilize this. I mean, this is kind of the ideal yeah. tool for homeschooling. For um, amen. Just even now, as we're seeing more and more of these virtual classroom type things happening, mm-hmm. um, just to be able to put this in, in the teacher's toolbox is, is kind of a dream come true for a catechist.
4: Just about a little over a minute left in our conversation with Aaron Sang from Tradivox, talking about old catechisms and bringing them back to life and making them more accessible to the rest of us. Aaron, as we give, uh, wrap up our conversation, how can our audience uh, participate? How can they help? And what do you need?
7: Sure. Well, going on the tradivox.com, of tradivo X.com. That's everything is on uh, the website there. We could certainly use, uh, any, any donor help. Um, the, like, like every nonprofit, the uh, eternal virus of doom slammed us pretty good. So, um, <laughs> the folks can go on there. The, just, uh, the, the other um, aspect of it would be just learning about the project. Of course, we've got a lot there on the site, um, understanding that a bit more. And then, uh and then also the Sophia uh, Press series, the 20 volume, those those hardbacks are going to be really the best of the best in English, uh, and they've they've done it's really it's it's great. I haven't seen anything like it, but they're they're running it as a subscription for the hardbacks also. So instead of a well, know, upfront by the whole series or by individual texts. We're out you of time.
4: Aaron, I hate to cut you off, but that music means I got to go. Uh, tradivox.com, T-R-A-D-I-V-O-X.com is the website. Check that out. Aaron Sank, thank you for being on with us today.
7: Thank you all. God bless.
4: All right. God bless you, too. That's going to do it for today's Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for being a part of the program. We're very grateful. Uh, Emily was out today. Hopefully she'll be back very soon. Adrian Fonseca, thanks for producing no and problem. pitching in. And uh, on behalf of everyone here at the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Drive Time, we're praying for your day, and hopefully you'll pray for our day. Tomorrow we have a, a brand new show, a new opportunity, two hours to explore, to learn, to be inspired, to have a little fun and laugh along the way, and all that together. Don't don't miss it. Tune in. 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, tomorrow morning. We'll see you there. God Thank bless you. you
3: for joining